Amen and hallelujah. Saints, would you open your copy of God's holy scriptures to us to Psalm 22. And in doing so, would you stand for the hearing in faith of God's most holy word. Today I'm going to be reading verse 21b through 31. We're going to be focusing today on verses 21b through 25a. But I'm going to read the, pa- the whole passage for our context. Hear the word of the Lord. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he take it, bless it to our edification. You may be seated, brethren. We saw last week the sufferings of Jesus in verses 1 through 21. We saw those recounted there. But as we turn to this latter part of this psalm, and this, this latter part I'm, I'm really wanting to use as a focus for us as we go into Advent. Because as I said, this, this really expounds one of the most glorious passages in all the Scripture that expounds on, as we sang earlier, uh, you know, he came to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. Jesus came, he said, we all know John three sixteen. you know, God loved the world. He gave uh, his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And we say, amen. May that verse never grow old on us. But remember verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 1 John 2, 2, we're told that Jesus shed his blood for our sins. And we say, Amen. He's a propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, verse 2, 1 John 2 says, but also for the world. And while we, as we've said always, that doesn't mean universal redemption. Brethren, there will be many, many that will perish in hell for their unbelief, rejection of Jesus as Savior and Messiah and their hardness of heart and and in their suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, they will perish by God's wrath. But brethren, let me assure you that Jesus came to redeem nations, families, and not just a few, but a myriad of myriads and myriads, as Revelation says, around the throne from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Brethren, the gospel will prevail in time and history through the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. And it will do so because Jesus presently has the keys. He has the keys of the kingdom, and he's entrusted those to his church, as we're going to see. He has all power and authority in heaven and earth. He is our head. Brethren, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And I want to say that to you now because as we've prayed, we look around and, brethren, there is seemingly so little peace. There is war. There is troubles. Wars and rumors of wars. <laughs> right? 
we, we feel in so many ways rightly, this is like Matthew 24. And I do not believe we are the terminal generation. I also don't want us to be ignorant, brethren. There is upheavals and, 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 uh, uh, and misery and difficulties and sin proliferating. And it can look like, what's going on? Where's the kingdom advancing? Brethren, I assure you it is. Not only in other parts of the world, these stories we hear, you know, we hear about the church in China prevailing and overcoming and we rejoice in that. But brethren, the Lord is not done with us here in the West either. There's a faithful church here, and Jesus has plans through and for us. Let us not lose heart. 1 Peter 1.11 speaks there, and I love this because it speaks there of the Holy Spirit in the prophets. He revealed to them, and, and quote, it says there, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. That's a marvelous outline for this whole psalm. Verse 1 to 21, the sufferings of Christ. But brethren, as we go into verse 22 and following, the glories that will follow. So let's keep that in mind. The see here, We see here in this latter part of the psalm the pattern and power of Jesus' resurrection. And it shows us how he will redeem the world and conquer his and our enemies. Brethren, that should give you and I hope and it should give you great joy even in the midst of the day-to-day tedium and tediousness and trials uh, that come about exercising godly dominion in his name so let's consider a few things together just briefly i'm only as i said going to look two points today verses 22 to 24 primarily the end of 20 uh, 21 to 25 rather number one i want us to consider look at verse 21 just as a beginning place because this is the pivot on which the whole psalm hinges right up through verse 21a, we've talked about Jesus' suffering, and we saw that last week about him calling, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, you know, why are you so far from the hearing of my prayers and my groanings? And Jesus pouring out his, his voice and his prayers to the God who, as Hebrews 5 says, he cried out with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Even when he was surrounded by the bulls of Bashan and the gaping lions, dividing his garments, casting them for his crown, who pierced his feet and hands. Even there, as we see in Matthew 27, he would say, you know, he finished his work and he committed himself to him who judges rightly. To thy hands I commit my spirit. But then we get to verse 21b and it pauses and we see these words, you have answered me. Jesus' prayer was heard. Even through death and the suffering of death, his, hair was, his prayer to God was heard by the God who seemed so distant and far. He was heard and he was answered. Verse 24 also, uh, verse 21 says, You have heard me. Verse 24 says, He is not being the Father. The Father has not despised. He has not abhorred the affliction of the afflicted one of Jesus. Neither hath he, the Father, hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. Brethren, this is the pivot of our deliverance. Not only of ours, but the deliverance from death and destruction and misery of the world. This is the pivot on which all of history hinges. But you notice here that Jesus' prayer was answered not immediately in the way we may think. 
Because brethren, Jesus prayed, Lord, save me, deliver your righteous one, and then what happened? He died. He was a mar- the, f- the first greatest martyr. You know, he gave himself to him who judges rightly, even unto death. For the joy that was set before him. We know that the resurrection is coming. Stage two. But brethren, I want you to see this and the implications of this. The first thing God Father did was he did deliver Jesus through death. Sometimes he delivers his saints from death. Yes? And we should pray to that. But brethren, let us not be those who say, but, you know, if, if, if a brother or sister, if, if in the cause and the course of following Jesus faithfully and proclaiming him, you would have the honor to be a martyr for him, brethren, not look at that as a failure. Jesus, in this case, he was delivered through death. It, he was immediately, he was immediately removed from the, 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 the howling bulls of Bashan and the lions gaping. He was immediately given relief when his spirit departed. And he, as we read in, he, in, in 1 Peter 3.18, he descended into, into Hades, not to hell. He descended there to the, the brethren who had gone before to the Old Testament saints, and he proclaimed to them there the victory of his, of his obedience unto faith on the cross and the coming glory of their deliverance into heaven into the very presence of the living God. He went there and he proclaimed victory there to the saints of the living God, even the Old Testament saints who had trusted God. He was delivered from invisible and visible persecution along with he descended and said and declared into Hades. Brethren, as, as you and I think then about following Jesus, the call is this. Brethren, Jesus meant it when he said take up your cross. If any man desires to come after me, let him take up his cross, die daily, and follow me. Brethren, we talk a lot about dominion, and rightly so. But I want to remind you, brethren, that our Lord Jesus says that, as I, I love this verse and I say it over and over, but unless a, cor- a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Brethren, the biblical pattern what Paul Miller has referred to as the J-curve. The upside of the J on the backside comes after the dying. After the pruning. Brethren, I want us this from Jesus. Are you ready exercising people? But I ask you today, and I want us to get this from Jesus. Are you ready in faith to die with Jesus that you might live with him? To die with him that you might, to, to yourself. To die to, to die to the flesh. To die to the sins that so easily beset us. The passing pleasures of sins. And to say, living God, prune me, shape me. Kill myself that I be crucified with Christ. That I may be alive with Jesus, Jesus in me. Yet not I, but Christ in me, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20. Brethren, that is, the, that is the life. That is the dominion-bearing, dominion-exercising, fruitful generational life is the life that dies with Jesus and will live with Jesus, the power of Jesus in me. Not, not I, but Him in me. Right? So, brethren, you're going to hear me preach a lot about dominion, but here at this church, we're going to preach a lot about dominion through dying and rising again. Right?
may it be that we get this. Jesus' prayer was answered. But then secondly, yes, there's joy set before you and I, brethren. But like Jesus, let us, not dis- let us despise the shame. Remember Hebrews 12. He despised the shame. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus, he hated the shame. The word despised there in the Greek has the idea of that he counted it as nothing. Fine, let the bulls of Bashan, let the howling dogs, they're awful, but for the joy set before me in the cross and the fruitfulness that's going to come out of my dying and the redemption of the families of the world and the nations, let men bring their shame. Let them say what they will. I will not be deterred even through death. Why? Because there is joy and there is fruit set before me. Because after my, after my dying, there will be rising. There will be fruit. And it will be here am I and the children thou hast given me. Brethren, parents, we talk a lot about generational faithfulness. Talk about God keeping his covenant promises to a thousand generations. Brethren, he says that that's true about those who love me and keep my commandments. Brethren, the first commandment for you, parents, I want you to be leaning hard into the power and the presence of Jesus Christ to bring about the fruit you seek. But I also want you moms and dads, I want you to be leaning hard into this. Say, Lord, do what you have to do to me. Shape me, mold me. I'm ready to die that I might live with you. I'm ready for you to take whatever you need to take from me to make me fruitful and joyful and happy in you. Then that's the pattern we see in Jesus. And yes, the resurrection comes. Vindication of the Father and of, of the Father's righteousness pouring His righteous wrath on the Son. God did not let injustice be unvindicated. We talked about that in Romans recently. And it was vindication of the Son's righteousness. Jesus was raised because death could not keep Him. Acts 2.24, it would have been wrong. Jesus, who had no sin, death could not hold Him. Psalm 16, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus was vindicated because he was the sinless son of God and God therefore raised him from out of the dead in glory and so he will for you who are in Christ. And it was the commencement when Jesus, he says, you have heard me, his resurrection three days later of Jesus' kingdom reign and certainty of worldwide redemption. Let me just give two applications here also, one more, two more. Number one, brethren, like Jesus We who are in Christ, we pray for good and righteous things for us, our children, our nations. And we are assured that our prayers in Jesus' name will be answered, just like Jesus, because they're in the authority of His name. But I want you to remember that at times there's going to be delay. I mean, Jesus, He received the first stage of His deliverance was in dying, and then three days later, the second part of His rising, and then 40 days later, the ascending into His session in heaven, right? And then the fullness of that prayer is being answered and will be consummated on the last day. Brethren, when we pray in Jesus' name, I want us to have faith to say, the Lord is going to answer our prayers, but it may be in stages and may not be immediate in fullness. Wait on the Lord. Don't lose heart. Right? They that sow in tears, bearing precious seeds, will what? no doubtless come again. Rejoicing, bearing their seeds with them, right? Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time, in due time, 
We shall reap if we faint not. Do you see it? The answer will come. It will begin to come slowly and then it may come in fullness. So parents, when you pray for your children, you know, say, Lord, we're dealing with sin in our family. We've got things that we're striving against and we haven't made much progress lately. <laughs> this same sin we've been working on for the past couple of months. Don't lose heart. <laughs> Seek the Lord. The Lord is hearing. He will help. It may be that He is doing a work in you. It may be that He's doing a work in you even as you're, He is preparing to do the work in your children. Husbands and wives, are you ready for Him to do that work in you even as you're waiting and knowing that He is going to do the work in your kids as well? Brethren, that's an application. The Lord often answers our prayers incrementally and progressively rather than all at once. Brethren, don't lose heart. Just because you don't get what you ask for immediately, it doesn't mean, oh, he didn't hear me. He hears you in Jesus' name. But there may be dying before the fruit and the living. Persevere. Hold fast to Jesus as he's holding fast to you. Your prayers are not in vain. And secondly, and I just want to focus really here the second point, verse 22 to 25, just a couple key points here I want to make. We talked about the Father raising the Son in order to give Jesus the rule over glory and the worldwide kingdom he promised to him. Verse 21b, you have answered me. Then verse 22 to 20, really to the end, we're just going to focus to verse 25 today. We're going to see this, that the Son reigns, the Son, the Son reigns with the Father in order to give Him back the rule over and the glory of the renewed worldwide kingdom that He received from Him. Think about 1 Corinthians 15. I won't have you turn there, but 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 to 28, Paul says there that Jesus, upon his resurrection, that he was given the kingdom, right? And that he must reign until all of his enemies are subdued and put down, the last enemy itself being death. But then you remember what it says. It says, then Jesus himself will turn the kingdom over to the Father again. That God the Father may be all in all. <laughs> so brethren, Jesus has present reign, rule over the kingdom now for the sake of the glory of the Father, Son, and Spirit in the world to redeem the world and then to give the kingdom back that the glorious day that God, the living triune God, will be all in all. So that's where we are. And let's just look at this briefly. Number one, he speaks here in verse 22, 25, really of reigning and rejoicing in first stage here with this Jewish remnant assembly. Notice notice what it, it speaks of here in the text. He says, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. He speaks here of those who fear the Lord, descendants of Jacob, right? offspring of Israel. As we're going to see as we work through this passage, it, it, the first stage of this worldwide redemption, it begins with the Jewish church, the remnant, the reconstituted Israel, right? Right there in the first century. These, the, the, the natural branches in the vine, right? Jesus said that he was to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And the first thing we see here is, the, is Jesus and his work to the descendants of Jacob, to the offspring of Israel. I believe this, this is speaking of that the first stage, that first generation of the Jewish church, the first church right there at Jerusalem, as well as the dispersion around the world, the Jews, the literal children of Abraham, 
who had been renewed as the Israel of God in union with Jesus. And brethren, I want you to remember this. Jesus prayed from the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here's Jesus on the cross surrounded by the the dogs, the bulls of Bashan, the lions, the Roman Gentiles, as well as the, the many of these Jews who had just who had just said, crucify him, crucify him. His blood be upon us and our children. But he knows fully well, most of them, the the Pharisees knew fully well what they were doing. But there was also this crowd that just was kind of going along and they were just following the lead, right? And Jesus' mercy and his compassion. God have mercy on them. They don't know what they're doing. They're just following the lead. These, they're being foolish and ignorant like sheep without a shepherd. Have mercy upon them. Do you see this? The very ones there around the cross who said crucify him. And brethren, by the time we get to Acts 2, what do we see? Brethren, was Jesus' prayer there answered? Lord, have mercy on them. What happens in Acts 2? There's this outpouring of the Spirit as 120 Jewish disciples are gathered, they're praying in earnest. The Spirit is poured out. And what do we see on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 Jewish literal descendants of Abraham converted to Christ. Jesus' prayer was answered. God had mercy on them, and He did a great work of redemption. Brethren, I want you to see that Jesus had great mercy, and He has great mercy upon all those who fear Him. So often we do things that we don't even know. You say, we know not what we do. But Jesus prays for his enemies. He prayed for those who had persecuted him. Brethren, I just remind you, Jesus said, bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. This is a distinctive mark of Christian faith, brethren. How do you deal with the enemies, yours and his? Pray for them. So often they're just ignorant like you know, being led around by the devil, by the nose. They're, you know, they're culpable, yes, for their sin. Brethren, remember that the Lord delivered you from chains. And when you see people who are in bondage, don't despise and hate them. Pray for them. Lord, deliver them out of bondage too. Have mercy upon them. Jesus says here, I will declare your name to my brethren, those who fear the Lord. Notice how Jesus fully identifies and embraces the brethren, the saints, for whom he died for their salvation and sanctification. We, we, we read earlier in Hebrews 2, our, our, our New Testament reading. You remember it said there, it said that both he who sanctifies, that'd be Jesus, right? And those who are being sanctified, that's the great assembly. That's the people here. He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. Keep that phrase in mind for a minute, all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He says to them, I will declare your name. His presence, and again the name. I will declare the presence, the power of God, the goodness of God. I will declare your name to my brethren. And in the midst of this assembly, I'll sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him just like them. And again, here am I in the children whom God has given me. I also remind you of Jesus' words in John 17. He said, he prayed in his high priestly prayer. He said, Father, sanctify them. Who is the them there? In the context of John 17, he's speaking first about his Jewish disciples. 
right? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Do you hear it? Jesus, I sanctified myself, consecrated to you even unto death. And for their sakes, I do this that they may be consecrated and sanctified by me. He goes on there in John 17, The glory which you gave me I have given them, so that they may be one, just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them just as you loved me. Here's the point, brethren. When Hebrews says that they that are he that sanctifies and they that are sanctified are all of one, Jesus is identifying with you and me in our suffering. He's identifying with you and me as brethren of one family, of one father. His father and my father and your father. His sufferings. And when I suffer for righteousness sake, when I'm struggling, Jesus, we read there, he is able and willing to come to the aid of all those, the seed of Abraham that call on him. Jesus is identifying with you completely. He is saying, I in you, and you in me, and we in the Father, and Him in you. We are all of one. Brethren, do you understand that? Jesus has identified with you, and He has said, not just that I'm going to let you bear my name, but that I will dwell in you, and you with me, and that your eternal fate and destiny and your fruitfulness are inextricably bound up in my faithfulness. I sanctify myself for your sanctification. And he was glorified for your glorification. Brethren, do you know how much the Lord Jesus loves you? How he has poured his soul into death for you. And how he lives for you. That's what he is saying. He reigns and rules for you. Jesus is one with us. And then consider real quickly. He says, in the midst of the assembly I will praise you. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. Verse 25 says... You notice what's happening here? Here is Jesus after his resurrection. And Jesus is leading and joining the worship of his people as they are assembled in his name to worship as the assembly, as his ecclesia. As they're worshiping God in spirit and truth, Jesus is saying, I am in their midst. I am proclaiming God's name and praising God in the middle of the assembly. In the middle of the That Greek word there is ecclesia. It's the same word Jesus uses in Matthew 18 when he says, I will build my church. I will build my ruling council on earth, my people, and the gates of Hades will by no means prevail against it. Jesus is saying, I am going to lead worship in the presence of my people. I'm going to proclaim the name of God. I'm going to praise the name of God. And when they pray, I'm going to pray in them as they pray in the spirit because I am in their midst, though unseen. That word praise there, incidentally, in the Hebrew is hallel, from which we get the term hallelujah. We will praise Yahweh. I will praise the name of Yahweh, of my God and their God in the midst of the assembly, my brethren. He is not ashamed to call you brethren. Brethren. So here's the application. Brethren, when we gathered to worship on the Lord's day, right now. 
Remember what Hebrews 12 says. We put this on the front of our order of worship most weeks. You and I are, this is where heaven and earth meet, right? We are sending spiritually in the spirit, in the presence of saints, of angels, that great cloud of witnesses, the blood of the covenant, the presence of Jesus, that great mediator of the covenant and the blood of Abel, of Christ that speaks better than that of Abel, in this presence of the Father. Brethren, we are in the Spirit, but Jesus is not only are we ascending, but Jesus is descending. He is here in our midst. So we must gladly and expectantly gather and worship to meet with Jesus, to sing with Jesus in the Spirit of Jesus, to joyfully proclaim and sing out the praises of the triune God. Jesus proclaims and he sings the praises of the triune God always, but we must not let him sing alone, brethren, nor must we sing without him in the flesh. Brethren, we don't want to be gathering to worship here just going through motions, dead, empty motions, liturgy. I love liturgy. You love liturgy? I love our liturgy. But brethren, I want to exhort you, prepare your hearts to come and meet with Jesus on the Lord's day. And that when we say things like the Nicene Creed or the Lord's Prayer, pray together, not just, just simply going through motions because this is what we do. Brethren, that your heart is engaged in these things. This is my faith. This is what I believe. He is my God. And I will do this with joy and expect, expectancy. Jesus in our midst, he is the lead proclaimer. He is the lead prayer and the lead praiser in the Lord's service. Not me. Let us not offer God praises in our flesh devoid of the spirit, spiritless, dead orthodoxy. Rather, let us worship Him in spiritual life with Him who is the life. Let us love Him with the affections of our hearts captivated by the truth of Him who is truth, loving the words of Him who is the Word, the praises, singing the praises of Him, through Him, for Him, and to Him, whom are all things, to whom be glory and praise. Brethren, to worship the Father in spirit and truth means that we worship with Jesus in our midst, in the presence of Jesus. You know, when I was growing up, there was this old little song that used to say, some of you older ones may have heard it, it said, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the presence of the Lord. Brethren, the Lord wants your hearts as well as your orthodoxy. He wants of us zealous faith in God as well as adherence to the faith. Jesus concludes, and this is where I conclude. Look what he says. I will pay my vows before those, verse 25. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. You can turn to Psalm 116 sometime and see how this is explained in great detail, especially the latter part of Psalm 116, about Jesus paying his vows as a sacrifice and offering of praise. But here's the implications, and with this I close. Brethren, the idea here is that Jesus would keep the very vows which in his sufferings and of his passion he had made on the cross. He would keep the vows now amongst God's people that he would praise and serve God and proclaim the name of God amongst the brethren and lead them in worship. As a result of Jesus' prayer having been heard, the worship of God would be celebrated by those who feared him just as Jesus promised and vowed would happen. So what does that mean for you and I? It just means this. 
Brethren, the solemn worship of the people of God, the praises which we offer to the Most High are to be regarded as worship and paid by the Redeemer Himself because Jesus does it in the persons and services of those whom He has redeemed, you and me. It's Christ in you and me, praying and praising together with us and in us, through us. All the praises which proceed from our hearts and our lips are the fruit of Jesus' vows, of His faithfulness to the Father, and of His prayers, of His Spirit proclaiming, praying, praying, and praising in our midst, in the midst of the assembly. So brethren, may we as a church be maybe done with dead orthodoxy. Brethren, we gather to meet on the Lord's Day. Yes, I gather to meet with all of you every Lord's Day, and I love meeting with you. I love praising the Lord and, and doing what we do. But brethren, above all else, we gather to meet with Jesus because Jesus is in the midst of those who love and fear Him because He promised He would be so. Does that give you encouragement? Does that make you want to worship the Lord today? I hope it does. May the Lord help us. Let's pray. Father, oh Father, thank you for what Jesus said here. Jesus said that he would proclaim the name of the living God to his brethren, that he's not ashamed to call us brethren. He said that in the midst of the great assembly, that would be us, the people of God, the church of Jesus gathered in the midst of the great assembly where two or three are gathered in His name, that He would lead us as the chief prayer, the chief praiser, the chief proclaimer, though unseen. Father, You've commanded us that we would worship You in spirit and truth. And Father, worshiping You in spirit means worshiping You in the power and the presence and the praise of the Spirit of Christ in our midst. So, Father, I ask you today, Jesus, I implore you today, let the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, have absolute sway over our being and over our worship here. Lord, I desire that Resurrection Church, that we would be known as a people, that yes, our liturgy is beautiful, our, our liturgy is praiseworthy in many ways, but Father, I want us to be known as a church, as you do, where Jesus is in our midst and you can tell it because there is joy and gladness and praise and faith in our lives and in our hearts. Lord Jesus, visit us, we pray, and bless us. Help us to worship you in your presence and in your power. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brethren.